You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. That's, that's part of why I think Ancient Mai, because she's got a hand in on both directions, both places. So, hey, Guys, I gotta jump in. Those birds are killing yeah. me. Just are they? killing me. Let me see what I can do to get rid of them. Chris? We need to kill the birds. I'm watching you, Craig, and you're just dying over there. And welcome to the Legendarium. (laughs) We have been having a good time to start. Oh, my goodness gracious. I hope you guys missed us. It's been a long time. We sure miss each other. Uh, We we need society to open up or Craig's going to go crazy. (laughs) I'm I'm a little worried about Craig in the studio, but you know what? We're all we're all still quarantining. We're in our homes, but we're getting better technology. Hopefully, that makes for better podcasts for all of y'all. I know occasionally you're going to hear some birds chirping in the background. I tried to kill them earlier. They are they are squirrely little things, and it's hard to find them. Uh, we are the blue team. We have uh, we have our regular blue team. We have Ken and Megan and myself. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, I feel good. How, how you doing? I feel good. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Every time. Every time that happens, right? Um, um, straight off, straight off the top, though, I, I gotta. I'm not gonna lie. After this whole quarantine thing is over, I might, I might just stay quarantined. I, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. This not seeing people is kind of working for me. You can say that because you live with people. You have someone to hug if you need it. So, uh, <laughs> shut up. Not seeing everybody else. Um, I'm ready for my family to get jobs and go to work, though. Okay, so blinking out Ken here. Yeah. <laughs> now I can't see him. Yeah, so there you go. something Just tells me that Ken is going to lose some friends along the way after this. Oh, that's okay. Ken you know, had friends. It's my Ken, sparkling personality and my witty disposition. Ken had a couple of friends at one point in time. Um, so we are here today. We're gonna we're gonna finish unpacking. We felt like we had a little bit of time left for uh, for conversation on small favor. And we also, as we were talking about it, we thought, well, you know, it may not be a full episode unless we throw in the short story, The Warrior. So we're going to be talking about both of those. Do we want to do we want to start with The Warrior and then come back to our second half? Or do we want to we want to talk about the, le- the little hanging threads that we have left over from uh, from small favor? I, I kind of feel like if we get into the uh, the things we left on the table, then a couple of them will naturally lead us into The Warrior. Um there are also there are a couple of other uh, shorts from side jobs that we m- might want to just mention also that I uh, I think are pertinent to things coming up, like for example, uh, backup and Thomas's first person uh, book about being a white court vampire, which was pretty insightful in this world, I thought. So with that in mind, then let's go back to small favor. We okay. we decided as a group we liked the book. Um, there were a lot of things that we liked. Ken, what did uh, or uh, Ken or Megan, whichever one of you wants to go first. What was one thing that you felt like? You know what? I I really want to make sure we talk about this piece, and we did not spend any time on it at all. You go, Ken. Okay. The one thing that I thought we should spend more time on that we didn't get a lot of uh, is the Black Council. Okay, because uh, Nicodemus clearly sees that this is a thing. It's it's not just a, a civil war type deal. Harry is obviously, and, and his uh, Ramirez and a couple of other people are looking for this traitor within the ranks. And at first, we thought, okay, this is something that surely is going to shake up the white white council, and that's something. But now we're we're getting. Ideas that, well, the Denarians are, are interested. The white court is interested. The red court is clearly, obviously interested. Uh, the, the idea of a black council fracturing the, the uh, governing body of wizardry is something that has farther reaching implications than just Harry's world and just whether or not there's a bad guy in the, the wizarding ranks. And I thought that's something that we might want to look at just a little bit more especially since the next book is called turncoat. And so obviously I think here's where we're going to start getting into who is the, who's the betrayer. Yep. Megan, what did you think about that? Was what, what's, what's running around in your head about that issue? I don't have a lot running around in my head right now. I forgot to review this in the last two weeks. (laughs) So I'm going to 
reviewing my notes. You go, Todd. You know what? I will. Um, for me, one of the things that I think is going on with this is I, and again, complete conjecture. I could be completely wrong, which several people will probably say that I am. But I'm willing to bet that the that the individual that is our traitor is not just trying to disrupt the black court. I think they are actively trying to engage the rest of the the magical world to enlist them to do their dirty work. I think the reason this is going on is this is a power play about the 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 magical world. Uh, I was gonna, I was about to say the wizarding world of Harry Dresden, but I better not do that just in case we get <laughs> caught on a on a copyright violation. Um, but I but I really believe that what's going on is this is a this is a power play to take over what was the white council and the way that they're going to do it isn't by not lifting a finger, but by rather seeding information into all of the other groups that they know can take out the white council. Harry makes a couple of references, uh, both in this book and in other books, you can get killed by a bullet just as easy as you can get killed by magic. Mm -hmm. So it would, doesn't surprise me at all that we're seeing all of Harry's different kinds of enemies, mortal and supernatural taking pot shots at him. And I think it's because whoever it is on the council that's trying to do this recognizes that Harry is a pivotal figure in keeping the white court, the white council together. I, I completely agree with you. And I think that uh, Harry's, I think that the target on Harry's back is directly uh, because he, he can, he's, he's the central figure in thwarting, uh, whatever plan the betrayer has. I'm just going to call him the betrayer because we don't know who it is yet. But uh, I, I, I want to get into pre some predictions also well, in, a, in a second about who you think it might be. However, I think, I think that their plans are a little bit more nefarious than, than just destabilizing the white court. I think it is, or, or the, the white council, excuse me. I think that they want to destroy I think it's bigger. I think they wanted to destroy wizardry, for example. They want they want to destroy all wizards or destabilize the whole organization of wizards, and they want to have that that power, that power of magic to themselves, or or something where they where they can take control of the supernatural world or or something to that effect. So you basically and, and basically council. use that to to uh, take over the mortal world. So the Black Council is basically the Sith. That's what you're saying. I, I, yeah, basically. I mean, with all the Star Wars references that are, are bandied about in the Dresden universe, why not? Why, why wouldn't why wouldn't Jim Butcher make a, a Sith type organization to combat the the wizards, the White Council? And you know, with that in mind, it it may also be that may lend some credibility to the fact that right now the White Council is going after so many potential wizards, and killing them left and right rather than trying to bring them into the fold. And Harry's expressed some real frustration about that. So I wonder if that's part of what's going on with them. Well, and also <laughs> the fact that Harry was tried as a dark wizard early on and a lot of people still don't trust him. Yeah. And he's got some real ideas about how they should be doing things differently. I think we're going to find some very valid reasons for why you find a black wizard and you lop off their head and you don't give them the benefit of the doubt uh, which has always been a, a kind of a sticking point to Harry because he was one of those who was thought to be a dark wizard and they were going to lop off his head. And he thinks there should be a better way to rehabilitate or use those dark magic users without just killing them and dispatching them and being on your way. I, he's one of the more progressive forward thinking uh, new age members of the white council. And I think that's because that's he's young. Problem. Yeah, because he's young, and I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem with the with the insurrectionists, and that's why he's the person they've targeted to get him out of the way. And whether or not the the turncoat, the the traitor, is an uh, a more aged wizard or a younger wizard, I think what we're going to find as they as they talk about things is that Harry is not respectful of history. He does not. He on on many occasions he has illustrated himself to be somewhat uninformed about the history of the White Council and the things that they've gone through in the past. Lucio's made comment of the fact that when you've been around for 1600 years, you've seen a lot of things, you, you know, they different kinds of comments of that nature. And so I think this is probably not the first time that someone has 
had this kind of that, that the wizard that the white council has had this kind of a war that they've had to wage yeah. uh in fact if i remember correctly they've made some they there's been some innuendos about the fact the last war just about decimated both sides blah 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 uh i can't remember where where i remembered seeing that it seemed like it was just a a real quick snippet and then it was gone and and I wonder if the older wizards or the more experienced wizards or the more historically astute wizards are looking at people like Harry and saying, they're the reason we have to get rid of them. Well, especially knowing that Harry is, he's very much looked at as a role model by a lot of the other younger wizards. He's, I mean, not only is he kind of a dissenter where, oh, we're still not sure if we trust him entirely, but a lot of these younger wizards really think he's, pretty great and has some really good ideas, especially since Harry has reached out to the wider, less talented magical community. Yeah. Are we kind of agreed that we think that the turncoat, whoever that person is, we're already talking about them as though they exist by the title of the next book, but are we kind of agreed that the, that the traitor within the, within the White Council's ranks probably orchestrated the whole war beginning in the first place with Susan and the Red Court uh, and Harry burning the whole place down. Is that something that you guys have thought about? There was a lot of talk in those first couple of books. Well, not a lot, but Harry with Harry kind of saying, you know, oh, who? Because, I mean, even going back to the first book, I cannot remember the titles of any of the books or what happened to any of them individually, you guys. But uh, in that very first book where he's like, who would have taught this guy how to do this dark magic? Like there has been somebody pulling strings all along, whether it's been the same person this whole time, I couldn't guess. Well, I could guess, but I, 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 I do feel like there has been somebody or a group of somebody's. Um, Go ahead and guess, who do you think it is? I don't know. I'm like a third of the way through Turncoat and we, I have no idea. Are we gonna hazard a prediction? Uh, you I am for who the traitor is. I am. Todd's predictions. He's good at this prediction game. Yeah, it's half a spoiler. No, it's not. Well, it's I, it's not. I just sometimes I've sometimes and sometimes I've been right on, and there have been other times that I have been so far off the reservation. <sighs> it's not even funny. Um, Which makes for I, good listening to the for our listeners who actually have read ahead. That, that gives them good fodder. They always laugh at us. Yeah, they 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 love they love saying things like Todd stupid. Um, not just you, never, not <laughs> just you. <laughs> um, yeah, I I if if I were if I were slicing it down, I would say that my my two biggest potentials for the for the turncoat within our ranks is the ancient Mai and Ramirez. Ooh. And the reason oh, that I think, I know, I, I know, <laughs> I know. I mean, yes, it's a good prediction, but ah. Oh. But the but part of the reason that I picked the ancient Mai is because she is a little bit, uh, she is a little bit nebulous. We don't see very much, yeah. and so there's every possibility that we can turn around and say, oh, well, yeah, you know what? That's a nice character to use to throw under the wagon that nobody's really connected to and and invested in. But that's yeah. part of the reason also why I say it could be Ramirez because. We've all kind of gotten invested into Ramirez and Ramirez knows stuff that nobody else knows because Harry's brought him onto the inside of his little, little organization. And it sure seems like during this last book that we were reading that whoever it is that's, that's on the inside knows stuff about Harry's organizational process that that's nobody true. else really has any connection to. And that's why I'm thinking it might be Ramirez. I have, I have a prediction here. Um, stemming from a few books ago when we first found out about the Black Council and there was talk about clearly it has to be somebody who is deep on the inside, who probably is on the senior council, uh, who has the has been around a while and who has the ability to pull all of these strings. And I think only because it's out of left field and only because Harry and Blackstaff both talked about this person and saying, nah, they're good people. They're solid. And we haven't heard anything else about them. I think that the traitor is the gatekeeper. Okay. Yep. Because, because he's on the senior council. He's, um, he's been friendly with Harry, which is never, which is always a a red flag. (laughs) (laughs) Always a red flag. It's so true. And, Um. and, and he and, and McCoy both said that the gatekeeper is solid. He's good people. He's, 
it clearly couldn't be him is I something to that effect is, is what they said. And then we, and then we don't hear anything else about it. And I'm like, that is the kind of person it always is. Maybe. See, and I, I have a prediction, except we don't really get to know this person until turncoat. So we can't talk about it until the next episode. But I, I have a very different take on who I think it could be. So I'm very curious. Like I said, I'm a third of the way through turncoat. I'm excited to see where it goes. But I, I have a, ba- a prediction based on some of the things we've learned from that. Book. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll don't share that yet because I I even, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm, I think I'm you should write it down though. I think you yeah. should write it down. Yeah. I've already made notes. Write so, it down. So here's the question: Why are none of us? Well, maybe Megan is, but but maybe between Ken and I, why are we not identifying that it's the Merlin? I I personally don't think it's the Merlin because he's too much of a jerk. He's, clearly, really he's obvious. too obviously a jerk. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, I, just, I don't want it to be listens to wind. So I'm just choosing. I don't to either. That. I don't either. Yeah. I, and I, I couldn't think Ebenezer. it was blacksmith. Yeah. I couldn't think it was Ebenezer yeah. at all. So that's, and, and, and I think that, I think there's a, there's a, there's a fine line to walk between uh, picking somebody that everybody's invested in and making it a real big thing. And, really ticking off your listeners or your readership. So well, yeah. I, like, I like the idea of um, the Merlin just being exactly who he says he is. Like he doesn't pretend to be anything different. He's just a crappy guy. Like yeah. he's not but a villain. Become, he's just a crappy guy. But he's you don't become Merlin by just collecting bottle caps. So. That's right. <laughs> he's just, he's just, a, he's a poor, he's a fantastic wizard. And clearly he's, he's been good for the council, but he's just, he's a poor manager. He's a, he's a poor manager of people. I just, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's him, though. And so. again, that's part of why I think it's. That's that's part of why I think ancient Mai because she's got a hand in on both directions, both places. So, hey, guys, I gotta jump in. Those birds are killing yeah. me. Just are they? killing me. Let me see what I can I, do to get rid of them. Okay. Should we pause? So, Ken, you were saying you were you were bringing up something and said, "Hey, we need to talk about this." Yeah, I think while we're talking about the Black Council and we're talking about dissension in in the Black uh, Council, we should address or look into the other factions where there might be dissension or traitors like the Denarians and maybe the church itself. Because it sounds like, well, Nicodemus said a lot of the way they get some of the coins back is through uh, through people in the church passing the coins back to the denarians. So obviously there are people in there and, and this is where we can talk about the warrior also, because here we get an idea of a dissenter in the church who thinks that the way that things are done is not efficient in, in combating the, the Knights of the black and denarius. He knows better. Do you have a recap for that one, Ken? (laughs) Excuse me. I didn't actually write a recap other than to say this is the book that shows us that even though you know some of us some people might have been a little bit saddened or angry or saddened by I'm raising my hand right now yeah by the way that that michael was taken off the board it's good to see that he still has an opportunity to maybe even be happier than he was and it's taken a lot of pressure off so yeah he's broken and busted but this is this is retirement, and it looks like it's a good retirement for somebody like Michael. It also gives us an insight into Harry being um, unintentionally or intentionally better than he gives himself credit for. Oh, I think it's totally intentionally. So uh, Harry, the, the only reason I say unintentionally is because uh, Uriel shows back up. And tells Harry, look, you're a good guy. And Harry's like, I'm not a good guy. I don't do good things or whatever. Look, you saved the girl because you're good. And it happened. And and here are the effects of you saving the girl. You stopped the, the drunk guy from trying to handle electricity. These are the things that happened because of that. You talked to the second baseman and buoyed up her spirits. That's not anything in the grand scheme of things, but it gives her confidence. All of these things that you do have a long lasting effect, Harry. That's, that's the point of a, of a good person. That's that that conversation between uh, the so normally I don't read the I don't I don't read the four words or any of those kinds of things uh, un, unless I'm told that I really should but I have with every one of these stories because they give me an, a little bit of an insight into why Jim's writing them right yeah and 
And he talks about this idea that that maybe the battle for good and evil is a lot more a lot more grounded than we think it is. And it's a lot more in all of our all of our lives than maybe we think it is. And and as I was as I was reading through that, I was kind of like, oh boy, here we go. This one's gonna this is gonna be one of those that Todd is never gonna get through. And it wasn't. I was a mess by the time it was over. This is a Todd Tears book. This is a, this is a, ah, they are all Todd Tear books. I was gonna um, say. <laughs> they're kind of all that way. They all have a moment of that. But but this was really this was really quite poignant, especially when you know we 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 get to the we get to the moment where um I mean uh, jumping over lots of stuff, right? We get to the moment where uh where Michael is uh standing over the over Father Douglas. Am yeah. I remembering the name right? I think that's I mean, right. I just read it an hour ago, so maybe I can almost trust my memory. <laughs> Uh, standing over the top of Father Douglas with the baseball bat, and and I, I mean, my first thought was, huh, yeah, I guess those fencing skills that I developed all those years ago are going to be real useful with my baseball bat. Uh, <laughs> but that was because my 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 other thought was, and I completely understand mm-hmm. where he is at at that moment in time, and to have Harry shake him out of it and then see that Michael this who is who is for Harry the person that he looks at and says no Michael's good I'm just I'm just a guy uh because and and he's and he's watching Michael then take father Douglas back and heal up his wounds and make sure he's okay and Harry's sitting there yeah. trying to deal with all of that I'm sorry that was that was a and that conversation between Harry and Uriel was probably more powerful for me than the moment when, when Michael was standing over the top of father Douglas with the baseball bat. I, I love the moment where, um, you know, it's looking like Michael may actually murder father Douglas and Harry just says, if it needs to be done, let me do it. Please don't do it. Like he just, he doesn't want Michael to go down that path. And, I think that's one of the most beautiful, it shows really well their friendship and how much they care about each other and how much Harry cares for him because Harry doesn't like he, like you said, he sees so much more in Michael. He sees Michael as like, he's kind of got him on this pedestal a little bit. It's like, you have all of this faith that could totally be destroyed. If you ruin this, this could destroy you. It could destroy your family. Let me do it. This is the kind of thing I do. Um, please don't take that on yourself, even though it, you yeah. know, but he, he like, he, it, but it's one of those things where he's like, if you need someone to kill him, I'll do it. I will kill him for you because I love you. And but I don't want not to do it, but if you need be. him to die, I will do it. Absolutely. And I think that it shows Harry is aware of the farther reaching implications of, of action and mm-hmm. inaction because he won't let, he won't let Michael go down that path. Yeah. And it's, which is and- awesome. And we know that that Harry has a way with a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> we've seen that before. A little bit. Um, How but, about? Oh, sorry. But, go then ahead. His, but then his conversation, um, and I, I actually made some. I actually made notes for a change. Hey, um, I know, right? the The conversation between Harry and Uriel reaches this moment where, where Harry is saying so. So if God is so involved, then why did he let, why did he let my friend have all of that, have, have all of this happen to him? Why is, why is he so badly beaten up? Um, And, and why are you, why have you kind of pushed him to the, to this place where he's out of, out of uh, all of the, of all of the fight? And Uriel's contention to him is, is really insightful because he says, so you think we lost a warrior or did we reveal a warrior? Um, we had, um, we've, we've not had that. We've not necessarily had this conversation here, but I, I know that all of us have had this conversation with each other at different times. And that is that the question of our individual right to choose our actions and how much those choices while they seem small and insignificant, can have ramifications that we don't see. But when you are an archangel 
and have an immortal life and can see the way that they play out, how much does that change the battle for good and evil? I loved this story. I really did. It was fun, but it was powerful for me about the idea that, you know what? Yeah, maybe it doesn't seem like you're doing these big grand things because you're not swinging a sword around against evil demons. But if you're doing good things along the way, maybe you're doing a lot more in this war for good and evil than you give yourself credit for. Yeah, there's there's a lot more. The, the war for good and evil is a lot more involved in the ground game, which now Michael is a very large part of. And that, that being those little things that go barely noticed that are, are innocuous, like, you know, being a friend to somebody who needs it to, um, you know, helping a neighbor just because that, that sort of thing, the little things uh, that Michael is now a, a big part of and really taking the sword out of his hand makes, makes Michael basically the coach, you know, which, which I thought was a, was a great uh, allegory in the fact that he was the coach of the softball team. And now, basically in the war for the for the the black and denarius he is the coach you know and whoever fight coach yeah yeah those who can't do teach and now he's i I, well and now he's he's going to be whoever gets the the swords next i have a feeling he's going to be right there saying this is how you do it you know or maybe both swords and here's where i wanted to talk about father douglas really quick is um his methods may be wrong but does he have a point in the sense that uh here are two swords on the bench with this one guy they they're being unhelpful they need to get out there um in other words does it make sense from a certain point of view a certain point of view (laughs) i i think it comes back to what what michael has been saying this whole that ever since we've met him is that you need to have the faith. We need to have the faith or Harry needs to, and the people around them need to have the faith that um, those swords will be put back into action when they are most needed or when they're needed. And it'll be when that, when the person who's supposed to hold them is ready because maybe they're not right now. Yes, Um, that's true. It is the, the, the contention that, and, and, and I, I'm trying to remember if Michael said it to, to Father Douglas, he says, do you mean to think that you know better than God what should be done with those swords? Yeah. God made sure that they were in Harry's That's hands. Right. God said to leave it, you know. And so for for Michael to be saying those things, that was pretty powerful. I found the, I found the quote. It took me a little while. I was reading on two different devices and they haven't updated. Uh, mm-hmm. But I found I found the quote that I wanted. And this was the one from Uriel. And it was, after, it was toward the end of their conversation. And he says, people have far more power than... Ah, crap. (laughs) People have far more power than they realize if they would only choose to use it. Michael might not be cutting demons with a sword anymore, Harry, but don't think for a second that he isn't still fighting the good fight. It's just harder for you to see the results from down here. Um, yeah, you know, so, and maybe it's just because I'm, I'm physically exhausted from having done a, a, a little deal earlier, but that really hit me hard uh, and it's hitting me hard again. So uh, obviously it's pretty powerful. Hey, I wanted to ask one question about the warrior that, that uh, and we got, we got a little bit more time to be able to chat about this. So let me ask this question. How did you feel about the choice that Jim, as long as we're talking about choices, the choice that Jim Butcher made to make this not about the church being bad, but about a person in the church or in the brotherhood malleus, whatever it is, about a person being bad rather than the organization be bad. Did that impact you at all? For this one story, yeah, it, it did in the sense that I, I liked that it wasn't a, a big grand conspiracy, that it wasn't something nefarious. It was just one guy who maybe had been a little bit overzealous and and you can see that. I mean, you can you can see how he could get from here to there because he's probably been fighting this fight for a long time and is fairly ticked off that it looks like the bad guys are winning. And when you get that way, you know, you get a little bit desperate, a little bit angry, and you might go and do something you don't want. I, I think it makes for a good story that it's just one person. However, I think it sets up 
the idea that Nicodemus presented that there could be traitors in the church that I don't think father Douglas is one. I think father Douglas is overzealous. I think he's a lone wolf. He is. He's a lone wolf who, who thought that like Michael said, he knows that, that father Douglas knows better than God. However, it sets up the possibility of there being people in the church who, whose intentions aren't necessarily so good. And yeah. You know, they they might get those coins and they might pass them back saying, hey, this is job security. If we give the coins back to the Black and Denarius, then we can keep this racket going forever or something. Talk about racket. Why, why would you want to? But I mean, you know, possibly. Megan, what so. about you? I don't know. I feel like that's a really big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> going to make I, you feel about it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to a quote from uh, Small Favor, which says, um, my comment was united they stand because the Denarians are trying to breed suspicion within the church, um, within the church, within the world. But Harry says to Michael, this is what they want, Michael. They want us at one another's throats. They want us to distrust one another. I shook my head. And right now is not the time to give it to them. I think the choice to write this as this is one person's choice rather than this is a shady organization kind of brings it more to say that you can't trust anybody in the church and the whole thing is shady is really to write the whole thing off and um, make it very black and white. Which and, Harry was almost ready to do in this. Right. Book. And, and, yeah. this, and the world that Harry lives in, the world that we live in, not black and white. Um, and as we've been saying, there are individuals who make choices that end up hurting people, whether they meant for that to happen or not. Um, but I, I like that he, uh, Jim Butcher, wrote this in a way that was like, so here's something that's going on in the church that you're not aware of. And it's, you know, it's, it's run by people who yeah. may or may not have the faith that Michael has. Um, and so it, it very much could go the wrong way. But that doesn't mean that the church as an entity is bad. Or even yeah. the organization, even the order of the Malleus or whatever. Right. It is. Yeah. Well, I think um, I want to I want to transition this comment into talking about the Denarians really quick. But I think that it shows two different aims between the polar opposites being the church and the Denarians in that the, the church, this organization that is um has made it their their crusade to hunt down these black and denarius and and collect them and destroy them has has a unified aim their aim is is for this and they work together uh to make that happen whereas the denarians are 30 different entities with 30 different aims and Nicodemus, maybe a little bit uh, less to a lesser degree, Tessa have a bigger picture in mind, but the other 28 are just, what can I get and what can I destroy and how can I continue to, to keep doing it? You know, they, irrespective of what everybody else is doing. And if they have to throw uh, one of their comrades under a literal bus to do it, they will. <laughs> we, you know, they'll walk it off. <laughs> yeah, we we talked about that in the in the last episode where where uh, I don't think it's out of character for them to not worry about the well being of each uh, each different denarian. Uh, they just they want what's best for them, and that's that's thirty different factions doing the same thing. Which I think ultimately that chaos kind of uh, is there going to be their undoing. I think you that think. feeds into exactly what Nicodemus wants. I think he wants that. He wants them chaos, chaotically at each other's throats. And the reason that he wants them at each other's throats is because the more that they're, at least as I see it, the more that they are at each other's throats and the more damage and confusion and chaos that they're causing that the knights have to fight against, mm -hmm. the more he can move without ever being challenged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like so it. I think I think that while 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 it's possible that they are an organization of bloodthirsty, incredibly selfish individuals who will sacrifice each other at the at the drop of a hat in order to get their own goals moving forward, I think that's exactly what Nicodemus wants. And that's how he treats them, that he's willing to sacrifice all of them to get his goal, which is and he, and he's made it very clear he's been working at this for centuries. So yeah. 
it's not just a little thing that he's 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 moving with with subtlety and I hate to say this word with grace through all of the plotting and scheming and setting up that he's doing so that when it's in place he can make a play and if it's not in place and the play doesn't work guess what he isn't as bothered by it because he knows he's still got more time he can outlive them all and he can keep them doing all kinds of stuff. I think this idea that there's a traitor in the church or someone in the church that has been convinced that somehow it's better to to keep the knights busy and and not not let to I think I think it v- makes a tremendous amount of sense that that is his play. That's how he's designed these the 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 order of the black and denarius to work. And he, quite frankly, doesn't care about any of them. He only cares about his own plan. It's a, he, they, they are doing what Daddy does, and Daddy just happens to do it a little bit with, uh, with a little with a silk suit instead of with fangs and claws, and, and a and a uh, noose necktie, and a noose necktie. Yeah. Hey, hey, oh, sorry, I was going to ask um, how if that's his plan. How does a traitor in the in the black and denarius look. I mean, what, what shape do they take in, in terms of, I don't think that a traitor, when he talks about a traitor in their midst, I don't think it's somebody who is working actively to uh, uphold the ideals and the aims of the church. I think it's somebody who is actively working against Nicodemus's plan then. Yes. Yes. I think so, you're right. I think that that's, I think that what we'll see is that there's probably a, a, a tacit agreement among all of the Knights of the, of the Black and Denarius to leave each other, to leave Nicodemus alone, mess with each other as much as you want, but leave Nicodemus alone. I think one of them is feeding information to the church to try and get Nicodemus's plans unsettled. I think that's what it would look like. Some for kind a of shadow whisper monster. Yes. And I think, and I think that uh, I, I, and it's very possible that the person who is the traitor to Nicodemus in again, big picture, big picture, uh, uh, guess, maybe that person is also in league with the person in the church who is the unwitting trade or willing traitor, uh, putting coins back out. And somehow they've formed an unholy allowance alliance that allows them to do this. Could be. Don't know. So I have one, I, oh, I have one question that I've been hoping okay. to ask, and it, it this this takes us back uh, full circle back over to small favor really quick. What do you guys think could be so powerful that it could prevent a queen of fairy from using her own voice? That's a good question. And one that I was wondering uh, what you guys thought also. Um, I, I wonder if it's an, I, I don't think it's an agreement. Um, typically it would, well, and what I mean is I don't think it's an agreement that Mab made willingly. I think it's something that has caught her in a situation where we, she would begrudgingly make that decision. And it's gotta be something I would think on the level of, uh, you know, on the level of, of deity or archangel or something to that effect, because there isn't much that shakes a, a creature like Mab. And obviously she doesn't want to talk about it, which I think means that it's kind of embarrassing to her that she had to got stuck. She had to, to, to find herself in a position like this. So I honestly, I, I can't even wrap my head around a concept that would be, you know, and powerful enough to stymie Mab, basically. I mean, it could be something as simple as she gave her word not to say anything about it specifically somehow. Yeah. I wondered about that too. Um, it, it seems to me, especially with Uriel showing up at the end of the book, it seems to me that if Mab gave her word not to say anything about this bigger idea of what is going on that that could bind her tongue, but that she has the way of getting around it by making sure that she doesn't say anything. Gray Malkin says it. Yeah. She yeah. just, she just gives the thoughts to Gray Malkin to say whatever's going on. Um, whether that is, whether that is uh, an agreement between her and one of the other Queens of fairy, 
uh, between summer court and winter court. There's there's something going because we know there was something going on there. Oh right? yeah, right. Oh yeah. So and I'm thoroughly the, enjoying that Toot Toot is still around and that Harry is now the <laughs> Zah Lord. I just needed to mention that at some point. Harry's now the Zah Lord. Yes, of the right. And and I love the, uh, you know mentioning Toot Toot. I'm glad you brought that up. I like the fact that he keeps mentioning. Toot Toot keeps getting bigger. I do too. <laughs> right. and, like every time he he describes the armor, the armor's getting better, and like Toot Toot is just, like is he, is he become a, gonna become a major power player by the end of the series? Um, probably uh, you not. Know, but... At least a major power player in in uh, little in, folk, in small folk, in the smaller uh, Faye. Yeah, world. Like folk. Uh, which, I, which I love, and I I love the the concept of Harry regarding the small folk as. Uh, something of value of something of worth not that he can get something not what's in it for me worth but in terms of you have value and worth you are important and we i will regard you well and and which is nice because then they (laughs) go on ahead i don't know if you remember what tutut is actually doing but he's protecting like the brownies that are trying to clean harry's house they're protecting the brownies from mister from like, exactly. you know, just, we're trying to help take care of you in any way that we can, sir. I love it. I, his, his little small for, folk um, army, you know, surrounding his house, protecting his house. Neither the foulest of rats nor the cleverest of insects shall disturb your home while we draw breath. <laughs> I'd I, love to I have would not it. mind a couple of those in my house. Yeah, no, me. Right, right. I'd, I'd, I'd take it in a heartbeat without, without asking any questions at all. <laughs> by, by the way, are we to the point yet um, where it's pretty well understood that Mister is no garden variety cat? I uh, mean, because we've been into this book series. How long has this book series gone on now, timeline wise? From the from the start to now, it's got to have been. It's been it's more been than eight years. Nine yeah, years. Eight, yeah, eight nine years. I mean, and and Mister is. Big old big cat, and who's um, been possessed by Bob more than once? Yeah, so yeah. I, yeah. I wonder exactly. if that, wonder if that maybe has that's, positive effects. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's the longevity uh, power. Yeah, exactly. But I, there's something more to Mister. I think we know that there's something more to Mouse, of course. But yeah, well, and maybe think- it's maybe it's just the simple fact that uh, that being a wizard gives the opportunity for any for it, it it destroys electronics but boy does it make things more longer live it you preserves know? lives well and the fact that harry has a constant and someone in his home who cares whether he comes home yeah yeah, nice. yeah. there's some real value there well it, it's it sounds to me unless we've got any questions that we need to go over for, that came from reddit or if we've got anything else that we need to unpack sounds like we're pretty much at the end of these two and getting ready to turn the turn the corner into turncoat we had a yeah uh, into yeah I'm, I'm excited to really get into turncoat but uh, there are a couple of questions uh, one is one is a little bit more of a discussion uh, or conversation two are just fun but one that i was thinking of is uh Harry is the unreliable narrator. Several people on Reddit and Discord have come up with with this one. And I I finally realized in this book, it got me thinking, is is the narration A, can Harry hear the actual narration that's in his head and that's why he talks to himself? Or is the narration actually his thought process and we're in on it? I think and how does that latter. how does that feed the narration? That's I think it's I think it's the latter, and part of the reason that I think it's the latter is because we really don't get um, we we don't get any glimpses into the future. We don't get any backward glances either, and so I'm not sure that it's so much that Harry is talking to himself. I think if he were talking, I think the portions where he talks to himself are made very clear. That was a stupid move, Harry. Um, oh yeah, good idea, Harry. You know the. If somebody comes in to, to work with you and you shoot them up, you know, you shoot them full of snark, uh, or some other comments <laughs> that he makes that way. Um, but I think when, when we're looking at the narration as it moves through, it's just, we're in on his thought process as it's going. And I, I like it as a, I like it in this book series. We talked about it when we first, when we first unpacked the first novel that, this allows it to feel more like the, the gumshoe novels of the, the noir novels of the 1950s. Uh, yeah. It doesn't always work. First person narratives of this nature don't always work. And there are lots of, there are lots of reasons for it. Execution is one of the biggest reasons for it. But Jim Butcher does a good job with it. And it has become something that I have looked forward to in the same way that I looked forward to the old Magnum PI when he says, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you <laughs> right. Guys, you remember oh, yeah. that? Oh yeah. yeah. 
um, for me, I looked forward to those because those were the those were the moments that you were going to be thrown a red herring and it was going to go off in a different direction. I like that technique, and I think Jim Butcher does a, a wonderful job with it. My my original thought was it was his thought process, and we're kind of in on it. But as the book series has gone on, and we've seen him just kind of randomly say things that lead people around him to go, what was that? And he goes, oh, nothing, you know, and kind of brushes it off and how he, he kind of mumbles to himself and, and such. Uh, a few books ago, we could have attributed it to Lash Shield, but now he keeps doing it, which led me to think, I wonder if he's actually hearing the narration in his head. He's hearing that Thomas Magnum uh, voice in his head saying things to him. And then when he just kind of talks under his breath or whatever, he's actually responding to the narrator in his head. If that's a the case, bit. I sure don't hold it against him. Oh, I, I, and I don't, I don't think this is something that, that changes, you know, the, the book series at all, but it just kind of was something that I went, I wonder if that leads contributes to the unreliable narrator. Megan, you said, you told us that it's like that uh, when I brought this up, you said, doesn't everybody do this? Yeah, I, I just kind of assumed everybody did. I, I wonder, though, it's it's interesting when I come up with like new ways of communicating the way that that changes my thought process. Like Facebook back in the day had a like they would start every single post with like Megan is thinking. And then you would like say, you know, just kind of finish the thought in there. Yeah. And yes. there was a while there was that's how my brain worked. But Harry is a really literary guy like he obviously reads a lot in his spare time because he comes up with all kinds of pop culture references all the time and so i kind of wonder if like he's read enough of these gumshoe novels that that's kind of how he mentally narrates his life a little bit like i could see this being sort of the thought process in his head because i've definitely had times where i've been you know going along and all of a sudden i'm like oh that's great megan good job i can't believe that you just did that or like just thought that um which I just kind of assumed everybody did, but not everybody's like me. Okay. Sounds like me. I'm like you. Yeah. Nice. I do that all the time. I'll question things in my head, but yeah, I, I don't but know I, if it's full on narrator, but I'll, I'll be in my head. Yeah. Well, and you guys have heard me say, Hey, just a moment. The voices are talking. I oh mean, yeah. But it also, I it's also a place where I, I am a ridiculous journaler. I write a lot in my journal because it helps me. Like I, I think I mentioned earlier, I live alone. And so like, if I need to work through some things, I don't always have someone to talk to. And even yeah. then it really helps to be able to write things down. Sure. And I'm not saying oh, yeah. that Harry's a journaler, but I'm saying like, he's just always trying to figure out what his actual thoughts are or what's trying to, like, he's just very, he's very in his head. Harry's a smart guy. He's very intellectual. He doesn't think he is, but he definitely is. Cause yeah, you can see it in the thought processes and the way that he tries to, work through everything that's happening and he's just he's very methodical which is kind of fun absolutely and especially when he puts phasers on snark <laughs> yes. here, here are the last two and i'll let i'll let you get out of here uh todd uh, number one what kind of denarian beast powers would you want if you were to take a, a coin what Ooh. what would your beast powers want uh, what would you want them to be i'm not sure i'd want beast powers i um, yeah i think i would be more interested in being somebody who is just peak agile, physical, you know, awesome. You mean like you are now? So can do you? Oh yeah, totally. Like now. Is that what's going on? I we didn't want to say anything, but. Well, now that we know, I'll call somebody with. The Denarian in my head was telling me. Um, I'm going to hold on to mine. Megan, how about you? What would you, what uh, powers would you want? I was afraid he'd ask me. This is, I'm just not going to come off well in this conversation, you guys. I've always, my superpower that I've always wanted is translocation. So I think in that oh. way, I would want to make, like, I mentioned the smoke monster earlier. I think I would want to become some kind of smoke monster. In which case, the easiest way to kill someone would be to go, like, into their nose and throat and lungs and just, like, suffocate them <laughs> to death. Apparently, that's the power that I would want as an evil supervillain. I now have new respect for you. Uh -huh. Megan is um, dark. That's really dark. There Don't you mess go. with dark Megan. That's what I and, thought of. And if I oh. was going to get a blackened Denarius, I got to be honest, I I would want to be Johnny Storm. I would want to be the Human Torch. Ooh. That would be the, the uh, an elemental control of fire. Whenever whenever Harry channels fire, I'm, I sit there and I say to myself, yeah, <laughs> because that's, <laughs> that's, that's my... That's my deal. 
That would be awesome one. All right, the, travel as fast as possible. <laughs> I'd be the, the, the last one. Be the smoke. Go. Oh, that, see, yeah, you would be the smoke and you would be the the fire. Where I guess I would have to fire. I'd have to be the earth, and then Craig could be fire. the water while he's sitting there. But <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know. But <laughs> all right, here's here's your last one in parting is. Uh, what kind of donut would you want? Pretty, oh. What kind of donut would he bring you? Would the eldest gruff bring you? Or pastry. You know, it doesn't have to be a, just a donut. Uh, I'm all about the chocolate cake donut with chocolate frosting and um, like crushed nuts on top. Peanuts, probably. Walnuts. Oh. Walnuts are better. Not peanuts. For a donut. <laughs> chocolate old-fashioned, or no, a chocolate cruller with chocolate uh, fudge frosting on top of it and perhaps perhaps dark chocolate shavings sprinkled as well oh that would that'd be good that so. does yep. sound like it'd be really good with your coffee <sighs> coffee give is me, so bitter. okay give me a give me a good old-fashioned raspberry fritter yeah. <laughs> yep You're but it has not. to be it has to be real raspberries from Someplace. Oh, oh Craig needs so to the, the would have to go get it. I'm sorry. Oh, real fresh raspberry sounds sorry. great. Did did Ken just become the reasonable one on this show? Reasonable? <laughs> you mean boring? You mean I'm not reasonable? I thought you were totally reasonable, Megan. This <laughs> this is what happens when I'm alone. <laughs> this is, Craig just waved his hands like I'm out. This is what happens when I'm alone in self-isolation for a month and a half. I, uh, I I start to become the person who, you know, doesn't... Who relates uh, more to Craig? Who relates more to, to Craig or something. I don't know. I, you know that. I was telling my son today that one of my favorite uh, protein bars is this oatmeal walnut cookie flavor. And I thought, oatmeal walnut. When did I become 80? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, that's something grandpa would eat. Anyway. I, I, I hope you would not ask for an oatmeal walnut pastry. Nice. Um, well, no. on, on that happy note, we will let's let's end this and encourage everybody to go off and get the pastry of your choice. Just make sure that it's a reasonable one filled with <laughs> with raspberries or strawberries and deep fried and all those kinds of things and leave the chocolate to Megan and I. Yes. <laughs>